Last Sunday, we began a sermon in Acts that we'll finish today. The, the, total, pa- the total passage is Acts 5, 1 through 11, and I'll read through that. Uh, well, I'll read what we did last week. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to light the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourselves part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have lied not to men, but to God. Now, as we finish up this uh, passage, I was going to say, spoiler alert, it doesn't end well for Ananias and Sapphira. But actually, thinking about it, it probably does end well for them. For You see, death is not the worst that can happen to a person. God removes those who belong to him from this world, sometimes for their own protection. In 1 Corinthians 5, we see Paul advocating for just that. He says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present, with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Paul said it is better through the power of Jesus to turn this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, which is nothing less than death. Though he was still a Christian, it was better for him to die than to live a life of wanton sin. The Apostle John in 1 John 5, 16-17 says, If anyone sees a brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and I, I'm using this because... There are sins that lead to death and sins that don't lead to death. He shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. In James five nineteen through 20, it says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And finally, in in a passage I covered last week during the Lord's Supper, the church in Corinth was taking communion in an unworthy manner. And I didn't use this passage during the communion, but it ends with Paul saying, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. 
For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Now, you might think that this only happened in apostolic days. But how do we know that God doesn't remove people sending Christians from the church today? And I'm sure he does. It's just that we don't have the apostles, the prophets of God, showing and telling us of all the people who have been removed from the church for their sins. God did and does remove sinning saints from this life, both for their own sake and for the sake of the church. Our passage for today continues the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5. So we're going to cover 5 through 11. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. And that's just for X amount of money. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now in verse 4, Peter had told Ananias that he had lied not to men, but to God. And with that pronouncement, Ananias fell down dead. The, the word used that's translated here, uh, breathed his last, is only used three times in the New Testament. And it's always used of those who were under God's divine judgment. It was always the death of wicked people when the, those words are used. Now, the word itself doesn't connote the death of the wicked, but it is used of Ananias, who lied to God. Uh, and a few verses later, his wife Sapphira. And later in Acts, it's used of Herod. So those are the three times that that word is used in the New Testament. So was Ananias' death from the shock of being found out, you know, a shame that brought on a heart attack or a stroke? We aren't told, but we do know that breathed his last okay I covered that is only used in the case of death by divine judgment the ultimate cause of Ananias' death was God God the one who knows and makes assessments acts in judgment even in the Christian community verse 5b says when Ananias heard these words he fell down breathed his last and great fear came upon all who heard it um Remembering that there had been no prophets in Israel for 400 years, that God has been silent for all that time, to have the Holy Spirit suddenly take away Ananias was bound to strike fear in all who heard it. Now, many times when we hear the fear of God, we're talking reverence. In many cases, fear and reverence are the same 
term and mean the same thing. But that's not what was going on here. The death of Ananias was struck fear in all who heard about it. Verse 6 says, The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Now these were not professional bar- uh, uh, barriers, but just some young men from the believers. Uh, we've talked about the custom of Jews before. Israel is a hot country. When a Jew dies, he is to be buried before sundown. But even under those circumstances, this is exceedingly fast for what happens here because the men take him out and bury him. And I've sat in church for a long time and not, not known why this was done. What's unusual about this burial was that no family was present, not even Ananias' wife, Sapphira. It says that the young men wrapped him up and carried him out. The word translated as wrap up can mean something as innocuous as bandaging your limb, but also to cover up or to fold up or to take away or remove. Those are our choices here. Was he wrapped up in a shroud and taken away? We can assume that that's what happened, but we're not told. And Ananias was then buried with no family present. And though it seems odd, this is done in the case of death by divine judgment throughout the Bible, which I had not known before. There are at least least two cases of this in the Old Testament. There might only be two cases of it, but there are at least two. Uh, Leviticus 10 says, Now, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer. Now, they had just, God has instituted in Leviticus how things are to be done, how he wants the priests to perform their acts. And they had just before this, offered burnt offerings to the Lord. And it was so impressive to Nadab and Abihu that they decided to do it themselves. And it says, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. And then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said, Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And Moses called Michael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near. Carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, Do not let the hair of your heads hang loose, and do not tear your clothes, lest you die, and wrath come upon all the congregation. But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that the Lord has kindled, And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. Here the divine judgment of God is accomplished with fire, for the sin of unauthorized fire, strange fire. God had commanded 
has commanded Aaron and the Levites how to uh, perform their burnt offerings, but Nadab and Abihu did not follow God's instructions. So Nadab and Abihu died from God's judgment, and Moses did not let even Aaron, their father, mourn them. No tearing of clothes, no letting the hair down, none of the traditional Jewish mourning rituals were followed for Nadab and Abihu. So verse 7, continuing in Acts, says, With an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Now, we do not know where Sapphira was during this time. Did someone search for her to give her the news? We don't know. My suspicion is that just like with Nadab and Abihu, God did not allow Ananias to be mourned by anyone. So Sapphira was not to be found. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much? And she said, yes, for so much. Now there are critics of Peter's method here within commentaries, within uh, uh, Christian circles um, who say he should have led Sapphira to confession and to repentance and restoration within the church. Uh, Some have even said, now I, I love some of these comments. Some have even said that, oh, Jesus would never be so unkind. You know, if, Je- if this had been Jesus and not Peter, he would not have been so unkind. Well, Peter poses a question. Did you sell the land for X amount of money? Sapphira had the chance to say no, to come clean, to repent, and she doesn't do it. She doubles down on her lie. But for the point of whether Jesus would have acted the way that Peter did. God divinely judged Sapphira. Jesus is God. Peter didn't judge Sapphira. He didn't give the divine judgment. God did. Peter asking the question answers what was only implied when he confronted Ananias. It's made explicit with Sapphira when asked point blank if she got a stated amount for the land, land, she lies, and for the last time. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? This is much the same charge uh, that Peter laid against Ananias, lying to the Holy Spirit. Here it's Why do you test the Spirit of God? Test here is the same word as provoke, among other ones. It says throughout the Bible you will not test God. And it's always pronounced test, but it could be provoke. And I just just wonder about our translation of some of these things. Testing also has the meaning of seeing how far you can go. Uh, seeing what you can get away with. I have a friend who's a theologian who, who says he dances on the far edge of Christian liberty. Okay, that uh, he's this close to going over. Well, I want to stay you know, away from that edge myself. I do not want to dance on the edge of Christian liberty. Uh, I want there to be a little bit of space lest I step wrong. 
Verse 9b says, Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. For testing the spirit of the Lord, Sapphira hears the footsteps of her pallbearers. Ananias and Sapphira have been judged, and not just for being greedy, but for being arrogant as well in their treatment of the church body and of God. They had laid money dishonestly at the feet of the apostles. Now, let's think about that for a second. There's another thing I I don't think we want to do. I don't think we want to dishonestly lay anything at the feet of God. That's another thing to step back away from. And now God will judge that deceit and remove Sapphira. Again, some people think that Peter here is without compassion because of the calm and straightforward way he addresses Sapphira. But Peter is that way because God has already judged Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, if it was, it was Peter's job to confront them. Peter handles this without pity because divine justice was already decreed. Verse 10a says, Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. Once again, the death of the wicked. She breathed her last. Verse 10b says, When the young men came in, they found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. You'll notice that there's one difference in, in these, how these things are done. Ananias was removed and he was, they wrapped him up and carried him out. They do not say that Sapphira was wrapped up. And these things bother me when, when there's these little differences. And so I went a little bit further there's a writing in the classic Jewish rabbinic text called Semahat. And the Semahat deals with death and mourning, and, it, and it's appended to the Babylonian Talmud. And if that doesn't mean anything to you, I don't blame you, but uh, the Talmud is the Jewish rabbinic writings on how things are to be done. And the Semahat deals with death and mourning. Semahat 12.10 forbids men from wrapping a woman's body. Men are not allowed to touch a woman in that way, to wrap them up. So we must assume they just carried her out, maybe on a garment like uh, Nadab and Abihu were, and once again, we're not told exactly how she was carried out, but she was buried with no ceremony. And verse 11 says, And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these words. You know, fear is a word often used of human attitude towards God. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And in this case and many others, I really think that that means reverence and not fear. But fear of the wrath of God that came upon the church would bring the church to reverence and holiness just by and of itself. Just as an aside, this word that we just saw for church, ecclesia, this is the first time it is used of a Christian church and it happens here in Acts. That's just an aside. Now, when I brought up the death of Nabab and Abihu, I said that there were two... uh, 
another instance of God's divine judgment that precluded mourning at burial. The other is found in Joshua 7. Now, people have said, why Joshua 7 and why Acts? Why are you not allowed in these two ceremonies to... to why does God use his ju- divine judgment in these two spots? Surely we have all sinned badly. Surely other people have done it. But these two instances are brought up. Well, in, uh, with both Nahab and Abihu in, in, this, in uh, Joshua, it's the beginning of the Jewish community as a whole. God is instructing them how they're to live, how they're to be together. And when his law was violated, he removed people who were sinning. Here, this is the very beginning of the Christian church. In fact, this is the first time the church has ever been mentioned. And here, Ananias and Sapphira are removed from the body. And it's probably because God is structuring his church and wants it to operate in a certain way. Joshua 6, 18-20 says, um, Now, to set the stage. God is having them take the city of Jericho. And he's going to give Jericho into their hands. He says, but, and generally when you took a city, you got to keep all the goods that were there. Ah, the plunder was yours. In this case, however, God says, but you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction Lest you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted great shout and the wall fell down so that the people went up into the city every man straight before him and they captured the city but all was not well because Joshua 7 1 says but the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things for Achan the son of Carmi son of Zabdi son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah took some of the devoted things and and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. The Septuagint, the Greek version of the uh, Jewish Bible says, Achan kept back some of the plunder. And it is suspected that Luke, in his choice of words of them keeping back, Ananias and Sapphira keeping back a portion of the proceeds of their sale, was drawing attention back to Achan keeping back things that were supposed to be devoted to God because Ananias and Sapphira too kept back that which they claimed to have given the apostles all of. We have seen we've seen how well this went for Ananias and Sapphira keeping back that which they had said they had given to God. So how did it work out for Achan? Well, after Jericho, the Israelites were preparing, uh, were defeated in battle at Ai, and Joshua fell on his face before the Lord. The Lord said to Joshua, Get up! Why have you fallen on your face? 
Israel has sinned. They have transgressed. So he tells them to get up and he says, in, in the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes. And the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come up near by households. And the household that the Lord takes shall come near by man. Near man by man. So he's casting lots. All of the tribes of Israel come out before, before uh, Joshua. And God says, well, it's that tribe. So all the other tribes are off the hook. And, and then it's all the clans go before him. And it's that clan. And we get down to the family. And finally... He brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites, man by man, and Zabdi was taken, and brought near his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and give praise to him, and tell me now, what you have done, and do not hide it from me. This is a tough thing to say. Achan knows he's on the spot, and he's told to give glory to God, to uh, give praise to him. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, Then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord, and Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak, and the bar of gold, and his sons and daughters, and his oxen, and donkeys, and sheep, and his tent, and all that that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. God was without pity for the sin of Achan, his sons and daughters, even his oxen, donkeys, and sheep. All that he had were first stoned, then burnt, and then covered with a pile of stones in the valley now called Achor. And of course I had to look that up. That means valley of troubles because this is where the Israelites were troubled because of Achan. All this befell Achan because he held back from God that which is God's. The same with Ananias and Sapphira. They held back that which they said they gave. So the closing question here today is, what are we holding back from God? What does God want from us? What does God require of us? 
Deuteronomy 6.5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Do we don't do this? I don't do it. I don't think we can do it. I don't think it's possible to live up in this way to God's standard. In Luke 10.27, what God requires us is even clarified more. Jesus is approached, and behold, a lawyer stood up to him, put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the lawyer was looking for a positive response here. Uh, Lawyers are that way. Uh, Lawyers, just like everybody else, have not changed in 2,000 years. And so he says, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Do we keep some of this back from God? The neighbor part's a tough one here. I don't know if you have neighbors like I've had in times. The only person who obeyed God in all these things perfectly was Jesus Christ. We know we sin every day. So far, God hasn't called us out for a sin unto death, which only shows his graciousness to all of us. Um, But we've all sinned and deserve his judgment. And the only reason we don't get it is because God is gracious to forgive sins. And that believing in Jesus Christ, we do have our sins forgiven. You know, Aaron said I I ended abruptly last week. Well, I'm ending abruptly again today because some of these things that you read, like the story of Achan and his family and his horses and his donkeys and his gold and his tent, should make us really realize that God has authored all things. And even if we think that he is without pity sometimes, you have to sit back and say, no, God pities us a great deal. We are still here. He sent Jesus to redeem the elect. We don't deserve any of this. And yet God is good and gracious to forgive our sins. Let's close in prayer.